You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in to the Inside Carolina Postgame Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Sherelle McMillan with Greg Barnes. I got Greg, not straight out the gate. So what you got? Yeah. So um, this is a lot of the team that we've seen this year, Tommy. Uh, really, really a situation where North Carolina had um, some glimpses. They had some good, good stretches, but uh, missed five free throws late. That that really, that really hurt. Had some opportunities. Had some bad turnovers. Um, you know and. I texted you at halftime, Tommy. I really thought that, that Carolina uh, was lucky to be down one because I, I thought Virginia had much better looks in the first half. Carolina was able to make some tough shots, especially R.J. Davis. Um, and you know, Virginia was able to get out to a 10-point lead there in the, the second half, and, and Carolina just was not able to get enough done. Um, you know, Give Hubert some credit, I think, with, with Armando being banged up. Uh, there were just some issues with, with him being effective down low. And so bringing Pete Nance in at the five, which is kind of his normal position anyway, his natural position, it opened things up a little bit. Uh, but they just were not able to execute well enough down the stretch. We've talked about that all year long. And so North Carolina uh, finds itself in a perilous position right now. I muted myself because I was trying to figure out a little technical stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Um I, I just I, I don't see a way in, especially when you got teams like Penn State playing their way in. Sherelle, here we are. Uh, we're talking about a, a Carolina team that had to have a win and couldn't get a win and, and lost a game in a very similar fashion as they've done before. Yeah, I think Greg kind of said it all. Uh, this is what they've done the entire season. They've When they needed a win, more often than not, they haven't been able to get it when they've had a chance to win games down the stretch, which again is particularly concerning uh, considering all the experience on this team, they haven't done it. It was, I believe, 57-55. First time they had been within two in some time. And I guess Virginia ended up going on a 13-4 run to end the game Uh, against Duke, both games. You know, it was tied at 
I think 57 or, or 55 or something like that, and they allowed significant runs to end the game. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what the cause of that is, if it's just um, not listening to the coach, if it's the coach not telling them the right thing, if it's the offense that they uh, purport to run. Uh, all those things, I think, are conspiring uh, together to cause some of these late game, I would call them meltdowns, because it, you kind of have to be, not proud is not the right word because I don't want to get slaughtered on here. Proud's not the right word, but they did fight back. I mean, getting down 10 to Virginia in the second half is like being down 25 to most teams. And they were able to get back within two points. And then it's just as if all that work and, and all that effort, maybe they got tired, but they, they just let all that go in the final couple minutes and, and took some really poor shots, uh, made a couple really poor choices on fouls. And just as fast as they get back into the game, it was over. So to Greg's point, uh, I agree con- completely. Just kind of a macrocosm, microcosm of the season. Uh, just inconsistency, um, you know, wide open shots missed, and just uh, almost appalling <laughs> lack of focus and uh, uh, attention to detail in the clutch. Yeah, I agree. And, and Greg, I mean, it's like we saw it coming, right? <laughs> You expected the very end to be exactly like it was when you have a when we went. I really don't even know how to to go there because I I want to go there, but I don't want to go there too harshly, like Sherelle said. I mean, there were some of those shots in that late game situation where you just knew were coming, right? You you just knew that Caleb was going to get a long deep three. One thing, and, and let's sort of talk about the game a little bit. Virginia was in. Carolina was in the bonus. Virginia was in foul trouble early in the second half or relatively early or in the second half. At that point, to me, any three is a bad shot unless it's wide open. And yet Carolina continued to take them. For me, watching that, that's where it was a little bit different um, because Virginia allowed North Carolina to have opportunities, but Carolina just couldn't come through. What did you think about the sense of urgency? Um, that you saw from North Carolina, especially when they got down 10. Um, they're playing for their, their season. They're playing for their career. Did you see anything there that just continues to be concerning for you? Now you're muted. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, to to really kind of sum all that up, I think you're right. And I think it kind of goes back to, for whatever reason, uh, this team has so many just wasted possessions. And when they execute well, they're fine. And then get into a rhythm and all those kind of things. We talked about it last night, Tommy. Like in the first half against BC, uh, they were able to push tempo a little bit. They were moving. They were making plays defensively. Therefore, they could get out and run a little bit offensively. And there was not any of this standing around. And everybody was just kind of bouncing around and had energy. And they built a big lead, and that game was over pretty early. Um, and you can do that against bad teams, and Boston College is a bad team. I think they're 165 in the net. Um, against Virginia, that's very difficult. And every single possession counts. And that's just very hard for this team because uh, they get sloppy, they take bad shots. As you said, Virginia was in foul trouble early. And their bigs had, uh, let's see, uh, Shedrick had four pretty early in the second half, and McCaffrey had three. Um, and they, they were doing a good job when they were focused on driving to the rim, getting some opportunities. And they kind of just forget that at times. 
Um, and I, we've seen it time and time and time again. And that's one of the frustrating things about this team is just so many wasted possessions. And when you're down and when you have to be able to execute, uh, and that's on both sides of the, the court, right? I mean, there, as Jay Billis pointed out several times, if not for a finger here or a bad angle there, Virginia's got some easier uh, dunks or layups. And so Carolina caught some breaks there with that, but just, just too many wasted possessions is how I see it, Tommy. Yeah, absolutely. Carolina um, had those opportunities. They missed some free throws um, down the stretch. Virginia missed some shots. I mean, Virginia was shooting 50-some percent until late, and they missed shots. Sherelle, um, any, in this one, anything uh, – I thought RJ was a dog for the most part. Anything you saw um, that changes the fact um, that RJ was the MVP of this game, I thought Caleb – look, I, I'll give Caleb a little bit of flowers because he, uh, he he had some assists. I think he finished with what? Six. Six, six assists, which is maybe one off his career high. I texted Greg earlier and said, if Love is not going to help at all, then you got to get him out of there. Um, six assists after that text um, show he was doing it. But, Sherelle, I mean – Give me something before we sort of look ahead a little bit here on this podcast. Yeah, in this particular game, and honestly, most of the season, I, I don't think effort's an issue. I just think this season, this team just wasn't good enough. Um, I know when, you know, the ball doesn't go in and we kind of like, what's going on? You know, what's the issue? Effort usually is kind of that first thing. Sure, at times they, they've slacked off, but it, it, as a whole, on the aggregate, I feel like the effort has been there. I feel like um, even tonight, you, I, I thought I saw a desperation out there that they you could see it uh, in how they were playing, that they knew that, you know, this is kind of it. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's an effort issue. Um, I think it's just this season. They're not good enough issue. I mean, I, I hate to make it so simple, but um, to Greg's point, you know, so many uh, possessions just wasted where you take a bad shot or um, you, you run down the lane and pass to no one and the other team gets a run out. Um, the first, I think it was seven of the eight uh, possessions, uh, Virginia's possessions to start the half, they had layups or, or easy points. And it's just those kind of lapses that you can't afford. I mean, they only had 11 turnovers. It felt like 27 because Virginia made them pay for every single one. But 11 turnovers, you're not going to really get too upset with that. Um, so there's that. The defense struggled. And the defense, honestly, has what just carried them most of the season when the offense started to regress basically from – I'd say around January 15th on the defense has regressed and, and uh, excuse me, the offense has regressed and the defense has gotten a lot better. Um, so it was uh, disheartening to see the defense kind of shredded in those first eight minutes of the, the second half. Um, but yeah, I just think they just weren't good enough. And with, between Baycott's injury and uh, guys not making shots, it's just hard to overcome against a UVA team that just will not beat itself. Guys, what do you think, Roy Williams would say in a post-game press conference when Tony Bennett's Virginia team outscored Carolina 11-2 in fast break points. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Sherelle? Yeah, he w- wouldn't be happy. Um, he would say Carolina had two more fast break points than Wanda, something like that, uh, I think is what he would say. I think so. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, it, we're all searching for answers, and I think they're just not good. I mean, that's what it comes down to. They just weren't a good team this year. And um, anything after that, you can extrapolate kind of what you want. But that's the kind of the bottom line is this was a flawed basketball team whose flaws showed up at least 
you know, 10 to 15 minutes every single game. And I'll say this, uh, just looking back on some of the, the best Carolina teams that I've covered. Um, I feel like I wrote a lot of stories about, hey, Carolina did not shoot well this game. However, they won because they won points in the paint. They won transition points. They won points off of turnovers. I feel like I wrote that story a lot. I mean, look at it tonight. Carolina shoots 36%. Not good, right? Points off turnovers. Virginia led that 14 to 2, as, as Rail mentioned. Uh, second chance points, 13 to 7. You know, when you factor in the field goal percentage, that probably sounds about right. Virginia led 28 20 points in the paint, 11 to 2, as I mentioned, fast break points. Um, and here's one that we've talked about before, Tommy. Uh, on dunks and layups, Virginia was 13 of 17. Carolina was 8 of 17. That's just not getting it done. Yeah, let me let me shout out a couple more things here too because, you know, I said Virginia did everything they could to try to let Carolina get back into it late. Virginia shot 58% in the second half. And to y'all's point earlier, um, you know, they got whatever they wanted at times. But when I'm looking at the end of the game, Virginia missed six, five straight shots there um, to bring down their percentage and to give Carolina an opportunity to get back in the game. And, and then you look at Carolina's shooting percentage and they just simply could not take advantage of it. You know, it, Carolina had opportunities. I know a lot of people in the chat and I'm going to say something about some folks in the chat. If you're going to spam the chat, I'm just going to kick you out. Uh, I mean, Hubert Davis will not get a complete pass, not from inside Carolina, not from anybody. Um, on this and we'll get to it but uh, you know you don't need to say it a million times in the chat so I, I do want to talk about Hubert and I'll come to you Sherelle on this Jalen Washington how many minutes did he play tonight you know right off the top of your head zero zero after his performance at Virginia when Baycott was out I, I mean at this point the rotations or, or whatever they are but did that surprise you that they didn't even give him an opportunity tonight? No, because the only reason he played against UVA is because Pete Nance was out. So not really. Um, Hubert Davis, I think, <laughs> what from what I've seen, and it's just my opinion, so um, I, that's what we're on here is to talk about it. I feel like he uses his bench when he absolutely has no choice but to use his bench. And I think you saw that last night uh, against Boston College because he realizes that they needed to try to win, you know, three or four games in this tournament, and that's why the bench was kind of used. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't surprised because again, if Pete Nance was healthy against UVA, that Jalen Washington game never happens. That happened out of pure necessity. Um, so, and, and the bench thing also, like <laughs> we can get into it later. Um, but I, I, I do think that is a tad overblown. I think if guys were capable of playing well, and there is a chicken and egg argument there. I, I understand that if they get more minutes, then they'll be able to play well. Um, but the head coach, you know, it, it's in his hands and uh, trust is the currency that coaches operate. We've said that for years and years, whether it's Roy Williams or Coach Smith or Coach Guthridge or whatever coach you want to name. Uh, you know, Ron Miller, rest his soul at Southview High School. Same thing. If he didn't trust you, he wasn't going to play you. Um, and I think that's where Hubert is. And people are upset with Hubert and rightfully so because he, he hasn't done a great job. Um, but he's a second year head coach. Like, kind of what do you expect do you expect him to out coach tony bennett if if you really want to be upset about a second year head coach being out coached by tony bennett then you have to start thinking about the decision makers um obviously Hubert davis needs to do better but 
I mean, I don't know what people are looking for. This this was like his 71st game as a, as a head coach. Like, yeah, he's going to get out coached by Tony Bennett because Tony Bennett is better. So that that's it's just a weird deal to me, like because um, Hubert has not done well. But also, like, what did you expect? You know, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, Greg. Follow on that. I mean, Tony Bennett is uh, people can say what they want to about Virginia and Virginia's offense, but when they're hitting shots, that offense just picks you apart and eats teams alive. And it, it's almost like basketball in its purest form to me watching. It can be ugly, but they don't do anything flashy, but they always manage to get a good shot. Uh, Greg, what did you think of specifically Hubert's game tonight? I, I thought – to Sherelle's point, that it was just like, yeah, it's just not going to happen out coaching Tony Bennett, um, especially if you're going to shoot 35% or whatever they did. Yeah, you've got to be able to dominate the, the boards. And I, Hubert was right at halftime um, when he's talking about Baycott because there were a number of times in the first half I'm, I'm watching the game saying, well, Baycott's going to get the ball three steps off the block. Uh, and that's easy pickings for Virginia because you know they're going to, they're going to trap, I and mean, that's what they do. They always trap against Carolina's bigs. Always have since Tony's been there. Uh, and whether it's the immediate off the other block or it's kind of a delayed double team, um, it's you kind of have to know it's coming. And so I don't know how much you know, Baycott being banged up played a role into that, if at all. Uh, but almost with kind of a liability. And then at that point, it's really of, you know, are you going to be able to knock down outside shots? Or are you going to be able to make difficult shots? And they did in the first half. RJ made some tough shots. They got some tough looks. Uh, in the second half, you know, when they, they made the switch and went primarily with Pete, it did open up the lane a little bit more. But we've talked about this for years. Um, RJ has gotten a lot better in attacking the rim. He's still a small guy. He's not the quickest. Uh, that's tough for him. And Caleb's just never really been good. He had a stretch there in the postseason last year where he was finishing at the rim, but that's just not his game. Um, that's why his you know, field goal percentage numbers are as bad as they are. So you really kind of in a catch 22, like in, when Chapel Hill, what happened? Carolina made threes. And with this team, the way it's constructed and the way that the Hubert's trying to run it, they have to be able to make threes because that's a priority in kind of the sets that he runs. Uh, and it just didn't happen tonight, and they weren't able to make up for it in, in any of these other areas. You know, um, forcing turnovers is not a priority. He likes running the sets. That plays into Virginia's hands. So without that three-point shot falling, it was always going to be an uphill climb. Sherelle, when you look at what's next, and, and folks will listen to the Inside Carolina postgame podcast, shout out to Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Uh, you know, they take care of everybody, so please take care of them. If you want Carolina gear, I understand when Carolina loses and they're not good, it's tough to go buy a ton of Carolina gear. But when you do it, go to Johnny T-Shirt and take care of them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sherelle, people in the chat talking about the NIT. They shouldn't play in the NIT. I've heard, um, I heard a story and hat tip to the person that told it is, is players didn't want to go to the NIT, I believe in 10, whenever Roy went. They didn't want to go. And Roy Williams, to the effect, said, we're going. We're not going to turn it down. We're going to go play. Um, what type scenario do you think plays out here in Chapel Hill? I think if Carolina doesn't make the NCAA tournament, which I think we all agree that that's not going to happen, if they do get an invite to the NIT, I think it would be bad form to turn it down. What do you think? Yeah, it would be arrogant, bad form, um, in my opinion, kind of dumb. Um, who are you to think that you don't belong and, you know, you, you shouldn't play the NIT? Roy Williams drug his team in 2010 to the NIT, as, as you said. Uh, you know, Carolina played in the NIT in, I think it was 2002, 2003. And, yeah, it wasn't great, but some of those crowds in the Smith Center were, were pretty amazing. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I can't prove it with some metric, but I think there was growth from, from you know, that class, Raymond Felton and, and those guys after their freshman year playing in those NIT games uh, before Roy Williams game. And, you know, what, considering what North Carolina could lose in the offseason and considering the arguments about how little the bench has played this entire season, why would you turn down an opportunity for kind of live bullets for some of the younger guys? I, I think, you know, I, I think that would be foolish. So, you know, why would you turn down an NIT invite? That's, that, that to me would we'd be bad form and, and would speak to a little bit of, of, of the arrogance um, that needs to be kind of weeded out. Greg, don't you think that that arrogance is maybe some reason why they're in the situation they're in right now a little bit? Because they sort of expected to be to roll out and be better than they are. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's legitimacy with that, Tommy. Uh, and to expand on what happened in 2010, not only did Roy ask the players, he asked his assistant coaches. And they said, eh, we'll pass. And he's like, uh, no, we're not doing that. And that was coming off a national championship. Remember that. Yeah. So, so who are you to to say that you're not good? I mean, I, that I would that would get me hot if they so, said they were going to play the NIT. Correct. And I, I'll never forget interviewing Roy after that year, after 2010. I think it was. I'm trying to think. I believe it was June. It was in the summer. So say June. So 14 months after winning his second national title in what four years? Five years? And he talked about how disappointed he was in himself for allowing North Carolina to have that bad of a year to where they went to the NIT. And I'll remind you, uh, they got to the championship game of the NIT at the Garden. So they actually got into the tournament and played pretty well. They won four games. Um, but the weight of that season was so significant on him uh, that he, he was determined to take that and learn from that and use that as fuel. And so he was not about to say, ah, we're too good for NIT. Uh-uh. Um, yeah, and I agree with you, Tommy. If, if you start having that belief, uh, that's, that's an idea of rot. That is not good for the program. And look, Carolina, I know the 2020 tournament got canceled because of COVID. They weren't going anyway. 
They weren't even going to go into the NIT. They were that bad. They were an eight seed in 21. They were an eight seed last year. More likely than not, they're not going this year. So you take every single opportunity that you have to get better, like Rel said, get better and do better next year. And Tom, you talk about uh, they didn't look, they were competitors and they had effort. If you decide not to play in the NIT because your feelings are hurt, then I will question your competitiveness, your fire. I'll question everything because, you know, you can't just uh, you can't just stop just because you you don't feel good or anything or or because your your feelings are hurt because you didn't play well the rest of the season. You know, be an adult, be a competitor, go out there and play. And when the season's over, the season's over. And uh, I would say the same thing to to the coaching staff. It, we talked about earlier this is Hebert Davis' second year. He, he needs every opportunity he can get to become a better coach. Um, same thing with the assistant coaches on down. It's, this is a systemic systemic thing. This is not one player. This is not one guard. This is not one center. This is a program deal. And they all need to lift each other up and, and get better together. And you can't, it's very difficult to do that without, you know, live reps. So get as many live reps as you can. You muted yourself. I muted myself. I clicked to the uh, thing. That's the first time I've done it the whole time. Ball players play ball, period. And, you know, if, if you want to pick up your ball and go home, uh, I agree. That is 100% would be a terrible look. I just can't imagine that happening. If it does, like Sherelle, like you just said, uh, that brings a whole nother realm of, of criticalness and questioning into the game. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, and look, go ahead, Ralph. I was going to say, where I the head coach and someone came to me and said they weren't going to play, I'd be like, okay, find yourself another school. That's what uh, I would immediate, say. Immediate. That's what I would, and I, that's not me like, oh, look at me. I'm so tough playing hardball or anything like that. It's just, you know, what are you doing? Are you, are you trying to get better? You know, and if you're not, that's fine. Go some, go somewhere else, you know, be, be gone. And let the guys who want to be here work to get better, whether it's in the NIT, pick up games over the summer, practice, whatever it is. And yeah. I, I think this is an opportunity too. Um, I guess they're still, I mean, they're not a hundred percent out quite yet. Uh, I mean, we, we can talk about that if you want to, but well, I do think. Yeah, yeah. Tell me why they're not a hundred percent out. <laughs> because everybody, a lot of teams are losing. Um, so if you look at Bart Torvik, um, like last four in on that T rank is Rutgers and Penn state. And they both won today. So I think, they're clearly ahead of North Carolina. Oklahoma State's there. They lost by double digits today to Texas. Um, Pittsburgh is in that same group. They got blown out today by Duke. Uh, Nevada had a bad loss. Uh, you know, Oregon's still alive. Arizona State's still alive. So I think Carolina needs to pull for Arizona State to lose to USC tonight, pull for UCLA to beat Oregon tomorrow. Um, if those things happen, I mean, you're still on the outside looking in, but at least at that point, you're still going to watch the selection show. Uh, I don't think they get in. Uh, yeah, I don't see any reason for them to. I don't think they're they're dead quite yet. Um, if some of those teams win another game, then then yeah, you can kind of write them off. Uh, but I, but I do think Tommy, this is this is an opportunity for for Hubert. Uh, you know. I don't know if they'll do a press conference after selection show or however he's going to handle it, but to say, Hey, you know, tough year. We had a lot of expectations coming in. Uh, we never were able to get it turned around like we did last year. 
this is a, a learning opportunity for us as a, as a coaching staff, as a program. This is what I see for how we're going to be. This is going to be our identity. This is what we're striving for, and we're working our way there. And I think if he, if he takes that approach, then a lot of fans that kind of been, been rankled by how he's approached uh, post-game press conferences and those kind of things, they'll say, okay, you know what? He's going to be here regardless. Um, he had a, a great ending to his first year, disappointing second year. Let, let's kind of rally around him. But if there's, if there's none of that, uh, I think that's going to put more pressure on him. And I think next year has potential to be a, a pretty tough year anyway. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, those those 2024 kids, if they wait to come in until 24, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. And so I think how he handles the next couple of weeks in terms of talking to the media, talking to the fan base, I think that's kind of crucial in how this offseason goes. Sherelle, Sherelle, let me ask you about that and recruiting. Um, one thing about it is that um, what they've put out on the court is certainly fuel for guys to come in and say there's a ton of playing time and a ton of opportunity in Chapel Hill. Um, has this season really affected that recruiting? You know, we talk about in football – the needle starts moving after a couple of years. We're, we're nowhere near that yet with Hubert Davis, but how, how does the product affect the pitch? Um, a little bit, but not nearly as much as in football because, uh, as you know, Tommy, 18-year-old kids uh, who are very good at something uh, think very highly of themselves. So it's never, oh, that's the struggles are going to go in there. It's that guy who's playing now isn't as good as me. And when I get there, I'm going to be so much better and this will look really good. Uh, so that I'm not worried about the recruiting part of it um, just yet. I think, you know, in a couple of years, if, you know, the things remain the same, then you can start talking about it. But right now um, they're, they're doing really good on the recruiting trail, honestly. Um, and they have a really good 24 class. Uh, they've got a leg up on a couple of guys in 25 already. Uh, so it, it takes a couple of years lag for that kind of stuff to catch up. Now, if they go out and struggle, you know, next season and um, everyone who's in Chapel Hill now, you know, kind of remains, then, you know, that that fourth year, you're kind of looking at it as a, as a make or break. And uh, when you go into a season uh, that's kind of make or break, then you start to struggle on the recruiting trail because recruits don't know if you're going to be there or how the situation is going to shake out. I, I still think we're about a year and a half potentially away from that. Um, but that's when the issues really, really creep up right now. Um, they're recruiting, you know, pretty much as well as anybody. So um, that's not an issue at, at this point. Yeah, and you know you've made it on an Inside Carolina podcast when there's Oregon fans in the chat talking smack to Carolina fans. Oregon fans. So, you Tommy, uh, Bart Torvik just updated, and <clears throat> the first two teams out are number one is Pittsburgh and number two is North Carolina. Uh so I think that's interesting. So uh, Pittsburgh, of course, is, is 2-0 and against Carolina this year. They do have four Q1 wins, but they are lower than Carolina in the net. Um, so, you know, it's worth paying attention to the next couple of days. I, I don't, Where's Clemson on that, Greg? Because, I, I, you know, and I'm not paying attention to State and Clemson, but if State can beat Clemson tonight, Clemson's certainly in trouble, right? Correct. And they're they're behind Carolina right now anyway. They, they had such a bad non-conference schedule, and they, they lost some really bad games. 
they're they're that's the problem because I think state's in regardless. So if Clemson can go on a run, then maybe Clemson can jump Carolina. The, the, right. the worst thing that can happen is you're no longer playing. So now you got to wait and hope for other teams to really tank. Yep. Shout out to the 850 plus people in here. I think this is the most people in a post game pod since the Final Four last year. Pretty incredible. Um, you know, I, I guess winning attracts folks, losing attracts folks, but we appreciate everybody coming in here. Sherelle, let's talk about beyond next year. Beyond and, and who's staying or who's going. Um, I'm going to pick your brain. I get you. I don't get you. Joey steals you on the coast to coast. I'm jealous. So. Tell me what this roster kind of looks like next year. Is there any way of knowing? And when would we know um, maybe how it looks next year across the board, um, the timing of that? Well, nothing's going to happen before Sunday. Um, you know, if they somehow manage to miraculously slip into the tournament, um, then you kind of wait a, at least a, probably another week before um, anything were to happen. And I don't know if you saw Hebert Davis's comments, but basically he said that, they weren't going to look into the transfer portal for help until they knew what their needs are. Well, they won't really be able to know what their needs are until the season's over because they can't have meetings with players and parents and, and all those folks until the season's over. Um, so I think a lot of that is dependent upon um, which tournament they get in, how deep they go in which tournament, uh, and, and you kind of go from there. So um, <clears throat> we'll have something up in the next few days, I, I think, on the site kind of detailing where we think things stand at the moment. Um, and I will say that it's probably not exactly what people think. I think in the business, they call that a tease. Uh, so look for that, you know, this weekend. An interesting tease, my friend. Hubert also, let, let me add one thing into to the Oregon fan. Just like remember Kennedy Meeks. Just don't forget that rebound. Okay. Yeah. Box right. out. Yeah. Box yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> nice shoes though. Yeah. Hubert Davis in the post-game press conference tonight. Regardless of our record, I think we've shown throughout the year we can compete and compete and beat anyone in the country. Uh, See, Tommy, that <laughs> I mean, they haven't. They haven't. Yeah, I mean, I, what's their best win? NC State, Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Yeah. Their best oh, three yeah. wins are Virginia, NC State, and Charleston, all at the Smith Center. Yeah. I mean, they've had so many chances, Tommy, to just get that one win. I mean, uh, nobody knew Iowa State was going to be, you know, a, a decent team. All the way back to Iowa State, Alabama, um, you know, they, they were able to beat Ohio State. They were able to beat Michigan, who wasn't that good. But then, you know, they had Pittsburgh. They had Duke. They had the second NC State, NC State game, the first Pittsburgh game. So many times where they had a lead in the second half, and this experienced team, with almost 600 games combined played in the starting five, just couldn't get it done for whatever reason. So I don't, I, I have little, um, I have little muster, little uh, ability to hear people start complaining about, you know, UNC and, and what they've shown and what they haven't shown. They haven't shown anything, honestly, for the majority of the year. And that's not being critical. That's just showing you what the record is. They're 20 and 13 with three good wins. A North Carolina basketball team, returning four or five starters, returning 11 of, uh, what was that, uh, 11 guys who played minutes in the NCAA tournament last year? I, I mean, how? I, I, we'll do the Optasi show, I'm sure, at some point when the season's officially over, but it's, it's confounding. I, I, I just don't understand it. I think what's 
most bothersome to me, and you're right, we'll get together on autopsy show, um, and that'll be an interesting one. We'll get the whole band together. But Marquette, very good basketball team. Baylor, solid basketball team they lost today to a team that Carolina lost to earlier. UCLA, very good basketball team, terrible injury they've got. Kansas, very good basketball team. Duke, pretty good basketball team or getting better or at least winning games they're supposed to. Greg, that's the thing to me, and that's the thing we'll talk about forever, is that how many times has Carolina had a, a returning roster that experienced and just not not manifested itself in win columns? And folks are saying 20 wins, you know, 20 wins you get a – you get into the tournament, That's those days are over because they played 33, 35 games. Winning 20 is not, a, is not a mark anymore. But, Greg, that's the thing that I'm looking at is, A, I've said it before, nobody really got a lot better. Nobody improved. And all the experience, I mean, good experience is great, but if the experience that comes back is not very good, it doesn't really matter. What, what's your take on all that before we get out of here? Yeah, well, look, Carolina won 11 ACC games. Uh, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Louisville, Paulson College, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Florida State. Like, okay, they beat Clemson at home. So that's fine. Uh, beat Syracuse on the road. Okay. NC State, Virginia at home. Those are good wins. Um, I mean, Carolina had the 52nd ranked strength of schedule, according to Ken Palm. Like, we can go back not that long ago, and Carolina was perennially top five. And that's more about the quality of the ACC and not Carolina's scheduling. But that just kind of speaks to you know, the, the ACC being down. Um, yeah, and I, I think a lot of people just say, hey, you know what, they shouldn't have been preseason number one. Fine. That, th- if they don't make the tournament, which doesn't look like they will, they will go down as the very first preseason number one team in the AP poll to not make the tournament since the field expanded in 1985. That They will have that uh, asterisk beside them for as long as that lasts. But even if this was only a you know, top 10 team preseason and that you didn't have that one bullet point that you could point to, your point remains, Tommy. Like There is no reason whatsoever for this team not to be good enough to get into the tournament. They were number 32 in the net on Selection Sunday last year. Uh, They were clearly in after that win at Cameron. They were an eight seed. So, I mean, that's some bad bad years where Carolina's been, eh, they've been like an eight seed. You got to go to like eight and 20 and 14 and 19 to talk about really bad North Carolina years. so I don't know. This is this is one of those times where um, it's important for Hubert Davis to really take a moment to see what went wrong, to see why this didn't work, and come out better on the other side. Uh, I agree with Rail. Like, I mean, at some point you got to be you got to be realistic in how you approach things. You can't just say, ah, "I thought we had a good enough schedule or a good enough record to get in." I mean, you didn't. You might still get in, but it's not because you had a great resume. Uh, and I, I think there has to be some acknowledgement of that fact that, hey, we thought we had the opportunity to keep getting better and keep getting better, and it just never happened. So I've got to figure out why that didn't happen and make sure it doesn't happen again. 
And that I think that's the key, as I said before. That's the key for Hubert now is own up to it. Acknowledge this was not the year that it could have been. Uh, and make sure the fan base understands what you have in mind moving forward. Sherelle, and we need to get out of here. It's the longest postgame pod ever. But I, I tell you what, I hate to walk out when there's you know almost a thousand people watching. Uh, what does self reflection look like this off season for Hubert Davis and the coaching staff? I, I'll, I'll say I'll compare it to football a little bit, and who knows what happens with football? But Gene Chizik was on fire at the media day and he owned nearly everything that went wrong last year without tossing the players under the bus. I mean, he, 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 without saying names, he said names a couple of times, but he said, it's up to them to fix it. What does that look like for Hubert Davis and his staff this year? Um, well, if, you, if we're going to use the Gene Chizik comparison, how many years was Gene Chizik a head coach, you know, before? So again, this is still, uh, a person who's in his second season as a head coach. And I think what he needs to have is in just introspection. I don't think it needs to be particularly different from what coaches do in the off season. There needs to be a, a self scout. There needs to be introspection on what did I allow? Why did I allow it? Um, who is a good fit for what I want to do moving forward? Who isn't a good fit for what I want to do moving forward and have tough, difficult conversations. You know, that is, uh, one of the key jobs of being a head coach. You know, we can talk X's and O's and strategy, um, but you have to build a roster in, in your own image. And I think for whatever reason, he hasn't quite done that. Um, obviously, he's only been the coach for two years and no one no one would be upset if you went back, you know, last August and said, oh, they're going to run it back. Everyone would take that all day long. But I do think it, we're reaching a point where Hubert Davis kind of needs to have a, a the ability um, through personnel and, and, and other avenues to fully put whatever stamp he wants to put on the program. Because um, in the day and age we are in now in college athletics, um, you don't get a lot of time to do that. And he's two years in now. So I, I think it, it kind of needs to be a situation where he takes full autonomy, full authority, and says, this is the way it's going to be done. Um, this is how we're going to do things. And if that's not... Uh, if that's not something that you agree with or you want to be a part of, then you can you can move on. And those difficult conversations will start when the season ends. And I think that's what you're looking for from him is just that, it, you know, introspection, self-scout and <clears throat> having those difficult conversations. I agree, Sherelle, man, you're always the uh, the voice of reason. Um, I don't have any choice but to end it on that. Greg, you got very, any last point? Now, Rail's, Rail's very zen-like. He needs to... Uh talk to somebody in my household who's been slamming doors and stuff for the last hour. Yeah. I got a, I got a six and a three year old, so I have no choice. Your girl, dad, man, you, you know, you have to be rational and reasoning. I'm a boy dad. So I, I, yeah, I spent, that's why I'm bald and gray. Um, <laughs> there's no Zen at times here, uh, but bless them. They're, they're great. So now they've got Carolina to live with for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Guys, it's been amazing. Uh, a great show. 68-59 Virginia over North Carolina in the quarterfinals of the ACC. Carolina awaits selection Sunday. I wonder will they stick a camera in front of uh, in front of the Tar Heels? That no would, chance. That, I would not allow no that. Chance. Yeah, yeah. If, UNC's uh, comms folks have to be like, no. Uh-uh. Yeah, that, that cannot happen. And uh, Hubert also said when asked about whether or not they would accept an NIT bid. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about them and this team. So 
a lot of introspection, if that's the word, a lot of self-reflection, um, but a lot of talk from us, and we're going to get out of here. Shout out to the 860-some or 70-some that got in here at one time and to the 800-plus that are in here now. Do me a favor before you leave, folks. Like the like, Smash the like button. Subscribe to the Inside Carolina YouTube channel and, and join Inside Carolina Premium if you're not and get Sherelle's scoop. He gave you a tease earlier. I mean, just a gigantic tease earlier. So you might want to be in on that to see what's going down. Carolina season, is it done? Will they play another home game in the Smith Center or in Carmichael? We'll find out, I guess, on Selection Sunday and Monday and see what happens. But that's it for us. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Sherelle. Thank you to Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.